Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today we are doing part two of Don't Tell Your Story by One Chapter. Don't get stuck living your life in one chapter. Last week we kind of introduced the idea. Today we're going to pick just one type of chapter that people tend to get stuck in. And then we're going to move forward next week and talk about the other side. But today I want to talk about two things. I want to share with you two things that happened to me yesterday that uh, were very profound for me and caused me to have some moments of introspection and reflection. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, so we are doing a series, kind of an unintentional series, but about not living your life by one chapter. And I want to talk about two profound moments that I had this week uh, as I was pondering what I was going to say in this episode, how we were going to navigate it. Uh, a couple of days ago, I'm driving, and I had a meeting downtown in Grand Rapids, and our office is it is on the east side of Grand Rapids, and so this meeting was downtown, almost to the west side. And so as I'm coming back, there's multiple ways to get back, but I got turned around. I got in a lane where I couldn't get over, and so I had to go a longer way around. And as I'm driving by uh, now the east side of my office, so I was on the west side, I come around to the east side and I'm frustrated because I'm in a hurry, I'm trying to get back in time to meet a client. And as I as I navigate this, I drive by a funeral, or not a funeral, I drive by a graveyard and there is a casket covered in flowers, bright white, reflecting in the sunlight. And sitting 10 yards away, is an elderly gentleman, black suit, red tie, red handkerchief in the in the pocket of his suit coat. Uh, the glasses, the sunglasses that go over glasses, and he's just sitting there with his hands folded in his lap. This profound, ah, I don't even know the word, this profound eminence of sadness permeates the entire picture. Uh, In fact, it was so poignant that I wanted to take a picture of it so that I could share it with my Facebook friends and social media friends. And I couldn't. Uh, We we were driving. We were at a red light, but the light turned green. And I got to think, I was uh, that guy's body language said, I feel like my life's over. And I don't know. I'm certainly romanticizing some of this. I imagine, you know, somebody there burying his wife of 50 years and and wondering, okay, what do I do next? And, and part of the reason that I take that that thought is because that's what his body language indicated. What do I do next? There is no one else around. It was just him. I don't know the circumstances. But an ancient writer once wrote that we should all consider a house of mourning because that reminds us of the end of us all. In other words, we will all die. We will all eventually breathe our last breath. And because of that, the pain of death touches everyone. Uh, today, the, the day that this episode uh, is will be released, it will be 19 years since I last talked to my mom. Talked to her on the phone, 
Uh, she went in for surgery the next day and never woke up, never woke up, died six weeks later, roughly six weeks. Uh, and, and so death touches us all. And, and the, the, it's hard for me to describe it to you. It do, I'm not doing it justice, that picture and what it did to me, how I felt in that moment. And, and yet it was okay. And it, it's, it certainly isn't okay for that gentleman. He just lost someone close to him. I, I'm guessing it was his wife, but I don't know that. And yet we really can't avoid death. That's, that's the point of everything I do, that, that we can't avoid it. So we, sh- we need to live our life in such a way that we're living to principles and values that we support and that we believe in. And then the other profound thing that happened yesterday, and this is all on the same day, is my daughter had a award ceremony for her senior year of high school, which for some people like, oh, what's the big deal? For me, I tend to, those things tend to be big deals to me. They tend to stop me. I tend to ponder things. I tend to uh, think and remember and go back. And I journal not as much as I would like, but I do journal. I go back and I watch or I read those journals. And, And there's just this profound moment in time for me as a parent where... My daughter is is at this precipice of literally her whole life is in front of her. Everything and anything is available to her. And yet there are, you know, this is where they get their first real measurement of accomplishment, first real measurement of effort, you know, at the very basic level of do you graduate, do you not graduate? And then, you know, splitting out awards based on hundreds of a percentage point for, for their GPA. And those types of things. And yet, as I watched the ceremony, and I was there for, I don't know, three hours, two hours. It, it was it was a longer ceremony, uh, which is fine. I, I think about what are the traumas that these kids have endured. And I'm not talking COVID and the pandemic. And, and certainly there's probably an interesting podcast episode or two in there regarding responses to that. But that's probably another day. Uh, but but I'm, I mean, like... There's just too many kids. I wonder how many of them have been sexually assaulted. I wonder how many of them are cutting. I wonder how many of them are uh, self-harming in other ways. I wonder how many of them are struggling with alcohol and drugs. And I wonder how many of them, when they go home, they don't know what security feels like. And if you've never had a ride in my mind, you might think that sounds judgmental, and I don't mean for it to, to sound that way. I, I certainly don't mean it in a judgmental way. Uh, unfortunately, given the field that I work in, I just know statistics and numbers, and statistics and numbers work for a reason. And I wonder how many of those kids will overcome whatever it is they're wrestling with, whatever it is they're fighting with, and how many of them will feel will stay stuck in high school, either because it was good and they're going to talk about that touchdown pass for the rest of their lives. They're going to talk about that play for the rest of their lives. They're going to talk about that theater production for the rest of their lives. And they're never going to leave that moment. Or, and this is where I really want to camp out today, how many of them are just never going to achieve whatever their potential is because they're going to be stuck in trauma. They're going to be stuck in the pain of being hurt. They're going to be stuck in the fallout of the grief that they encountered growing up. One one of the young men won an award 
uh, a scholarship. I don't know. I don't know if it was an award or a scholarship. I have to be honest. Uh, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of information and data to process. And sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed in those situations. And, but, but there was a young man who won an award that he started to have, uh, as part of the story, he started to have some mental health issues when his uncle was killed in a uh, roadside accident. It sounded like his, his uncle was a roadside worker, like a, a county worker, and, and he died in an accident. And he needed to get help, and he did. And that was the point of the story, that he went and got help. But how many of those kids will experience something similar, and they will, they will stay there? Uh, how, how many? It scares me as a parent, and I imagine if you're a parent, you struggle with this too, or somewhere it, it, it probes the recesses of your mind. Uh, how many memorial reward awards there were last night for for students who have died uh post-graduation since my daughter started going to school there 12 years ago 13 years ago whatever it is for kindergarten and and as you start to pull that apart there's just all of life in front of them and yet there for many many people there's also this terribly painful list of reasons to stay right in the moment they're in. You know, uh, my office here in, in Lowell where I make these recordings is, is the walls are full of pictures. And there's some pictures of my mom. In fact, right now I'm looking at a picture of my mom and myself. I'm probably about three or two in the picture. And my mom is probably in her late 20s, early 30s. And then just a few pictures down is me in my late 20s, early 30s, holding my two-year-old who graduates next Thursday. And here's, here's the point of all of this rambling. In everything that we do in life, there is the opportunity for pain. Everything we do in life, there is the opportunity for pain. Honestly, when I look at that picture of my mom and I, there's pain. When I look at that picture of my daughter and I, there's pain. And no, it's not the same pain. My daughter's still with me. My mom isn't. But there's pain there. And one of the things that happens is we get stuck in a chapter of pain and we fail to grow. We fail to move forward. I don't know if people are more traumatized today than they were in the past. I look back at history and I think, man, those would have been some really hard times to live. One of the things that my daughter who's graduating and I talk a lot about is if I had to choose, I'd choose to live in the time that I live in now because we live the longest. We have the best medical care. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that were not good in the past. And recognizing that doesn't mean that I'm somehow romanticizing the present day because there are a lot of problems in the present day, but there are some benefits in the present day that weren't in the past. And I'm not sure that that goes both ways. That would be a fun conversation if you disagree with me that we could have sometime, but not this time because you can't talk while I talk on this show. Uh, when we start to look at the trauma rates of today, though, one of the most difficult things that I think is, is we're becoming more and more aware of how many people are regularly traumatized, of how many people are regularly experiencing very traumatic uh, things, things. They're being assaulted. They're being hurt. They're being bullied. And at the same time, we seem to be losing some of our resilience. Uh, and and, and that's that is definitely a conversation to have. 
I, I do think, and I've said this before, that one of the th reasons that we're seeing more and more trauma is because we're telling people you can do whatever you want as long as it feels good for you. And if anyone doesn't agree with you, then they're evil, they're haters, they're enemies. And what do you do with people who are extremists? You squash them. And, and so we've created this world where we're, we are, we're rolling through trauma in ways that maybe we haven't in the past. I can't say for certain because I didn't live in those times. And with that, there is a, a, a necessary and well-intentioned movement to normalize trauma, which is good. We, we need to normalize trauma. We need to, we need to allow people the space to admit that they were traumatized, to admit that there's trauma in their life. And here's where it's gone rogue, though. In normalizing it, we have made it a better place to stay than to experience the pain of growth. We've made it the pain of trauma more appealing or admitting the pain of trauma and then the pain of staying in that trauma more appealing than the pain of growth, of growing, of engaging in change. And, and you know, just this week I had somebody I was talking to and they're another therapist and they're going off about, well, your pain is valid if, your pain is valid if. And, and yes, it is. And, you know, I don't know, she said 15 things and uh, great, I agree, it is valid. But here's the really hard question, so what? Okay, so it's valid. We should admit it. We should recognize it. But then what do we do? How do we move forward? How do we grow? How do we progress? How do we heal? How do we invite ourselves to heal and invite others to heal so that we can be better people a year from now, six months from now, dare I say it, two weeks from now than we are today? If we just get stuck telling our life with one story about, hey, I was traumatized, and so it's okay for me to use these defense mechanisms that are not helpful, that are actually equally destructive as the person who brought trauma to my life, then we don't grow, and we don't heal. And if we don't heal, it's very difficult to heal or to invite other people to heal. And if you want a really good test, ask yourself what makes you mad. What are the things that you get mad over? And if you caught that, I'm glad because I don't believe anything makes us mad. I'm, I'm wavering on it a little bit, but what are the things that you feel anger with? Are any of them related to a trauma that you haven't healed, that you haven't processed, that you haven't sat down with someone and worked through? My guess is the answer is yes. Most of the things in which we find ourselves responding with anger are related to things where we were traumatized and we haven't healed from them. And so the, the, the question is, if you're, if you're in pain, if something happened to you, if you were in this traumatic situation, and some of you, there are people that I meet that most of their life has been trauma. I have a friend who most of her life has had more trauma than it's had healing. Most of her life, the people who should have been protecting her weren't. And now the question becomes, okay, so you've recognized that. What do you do with that? And here's the first thing that we don't want to do. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Sometimes it's beneficial to make definitions based on what something isn't first. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to assign some sort of value to the traumatized person because of their trauma. They're not worth less than a person who wasn't traumatized, right? The person 
who wasn't traumatized isn't worth more than the person who was traumatized. And the person who was traumatized is not worth more than the person who wasn't traumatized. There is, they're both, they both have equal value because they're humans and they bring something to this earth that no one else can because they're uniquely themselves. And so it's not helpful to be like, oh, well, this trauma happened to me, so I'm broken. Or this trauma happened to me and I am fundamentally flawed forever. Or this trauma didn't happen to me and I'm just so much better than the people who it did. It, it, we have to recognize what is and accept it as what is so that we can heal and move forward. Because so many people, they get stuck in this, this, I was traumatized so I can do this, or I was traumatized so I have anxiety. Only we don't say I have anxiety, we say I am anxious. And I, I took my daughter out for breakfast Saturday, uh, kind of trying to bookend her, her you know, regular schooling career. Uh, we went out for breakfast uh, when she was just five uh, to McDonald's. I, I, it's so weird because I can remember it for all three of my girls, uh, th- what they were wearing, where we sat, what we were doing, uh, what was going on in my life at the time. And, and there's a lot in between this day and those days that I don't remember, but I do remember that day. And we went out to breakfast Saturday and we were talking about how, you know, we hate labels. And yet, and you've heard me go off about this before, labels are a good thing. They help us. Labels help us know how we organize things. The app that I'm using to record this podcast has a label, which is really good because if it didn't, I wouldn't know how to use it. I would struggle to find it. I'd have to open up all the apps in my computer until I found the right one. And labels are helpful, but they were never meant to be value adders or identifiers. And this is my daughter kind of going off about this at breakfast. And, and she inherited her mother's, you know, more loud tendencies. Uh, that is a complete and utter lie. I'm, I'm the loud one of the two of us. Uh, so is my humor that you were catching there. Uh, and so she's kind of going off about this thing. Like, it's not, I am anxious. I struggle with anxiety. It's not, I'm ADHD. It's, I have ADHD. It's not, I'm depressed. Uh, it's, I struggle with depression. And, and when we take the label and we move it out of the, the, the verb situation so it's not a predicate nominative naming us, it's, it's something that we wrestle with. We, we enhance the power of labels. And so it's not I am trauma, it's I've experienced trauma. Or it's not I am, you know, my high school career was great, is, is good. I don't know how you'd say that like I am. Uh, but th- this is how we get stuck. And so as we, we camp out on this idea of what do you do with your trauma? What do you do with the negative? What do you do with the pain? The first step is you have to acknowledge it. You have to admit it. You have to say it was there. It happened. I lived it. I experienced it. I moved through it. And then you can begin to heal. And so we define it, first of all, by saying, I don't, it's not, it's not an identifier, it doesn't just make you who you are. It's part of something that happened. This goes back to the whole story. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I would encourage you to start there and then come back to this one because your life has to have chapters. And some of those chapters are going to have trauma. Some of those chapters are going to have pain. Some of those tra- chapters are going to have really terribly bad things happen. And, and if you define yourself by them, you limit your own growth. And so 
you have to first admit that it happened. Yes, I lived through this trauma. It is a chapter in my story. Now let me tell you the chapters about healing. And often that is the hardest work. Because after we realize, okay, this happened and I don't assign value to myself from it, or I don't take value away from myself from it, then we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to heal? What are the risks that I have to take to heal? What are the uh, uh, dangers that I have to face to heal? What are the steps that I have to pick my foot up and move it forward and engage in order to heal, in order to find a way that is healthy, in order to tell a story that I can sit next to my spouse's or my loved one's casket and know that I told a good story. Because here's the thing about that guy. I don't know who was in that casket. I'm assuming it was his wife. His, his story isn't done. He's about to write chapters without whoever that person was. And those chapters are going to be painful. And those chapters are going to not be the same as the chapters that involve that person. But his story isn't done. He was sitting on the chair in the hot sunshine with the black suit, grieving. His body oozed grief. It, it, was, it was as though he was sending out grief waves that you could just pick up and feel. But his story isn't done. The story of his life is not over. And if you're listening to this, neither is yours. Because he's still alive and so are you. Your story isn't done. So whatever happened to you, whether it was high school, college, later in life, younger in life, it doesn't have to define you. But you're going to have to you're going to have to admit that it happened first of all. And then you're going to have to set up a radar for vocabulary that creates an identity for yourself out of that trauma. In other words, the radar has to be your brain needs to be on the lookout for things that are like well, that's just who I am because of this trauma or this thing. And then you've got this thing about me is true because of my trauma. No, 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 and no. Well, I'm adopted, so I don't trust people. Yeah, but you could trust people. My husband ran off with a younger version of me. Yep, that's awful. You could still trust people. I was just talking to someone this morning who, who went through a tragedy this week and and, and she said, I, I decided to reach out to some friends and just see how it goes. Because I've been encouraging her. Uh, she's, you know, I was like, hey, you need some friends. You, you don't need to pursue you know, great numbers of friends. Uh, but you do need to have some friends that you can trust because crisis comes for everybody. And I can't be the only person that you talk to about crisis because, you know, one hour a week. And, and she said, so I tried, I tried reaching out to people. And she said, it's been really amazing. Two people have really reached back out to me. They fought to, to protect me. They have fought to make sure that I'm okay in all of this. And it's been amazing. And, and here's the thing. Here's what she did. I, I don't need to tell her whole story in, in, this, in this episode, but, but she's had relationships that have let her down in the past. And so she made this, this kind of self-promise I'm just not going to be vulnerable to people like that again. And now in this great time of need, she risked because she didn't know how it was going to turn out. She, she knew, she agreed with me that if she wanted friends, 
a, a necessary behavior would be she'd have to reach out to people. But then when the crisis came, here's the moment of truth. And she could have just said, you know what? People have let me down. I'm not reaching out to anybody. But that's the opposite of healing. That's how you get stuck in the same chapter. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a stock of your life. And, and last week we talked about, I want you to look for patterns of doing the same things over and over again. This time, what I want you to do is I want you to look for patterns of behavior that are directly related to things in your life that were painful. And I want you to ask yourself this very hard question. Are you telling your life by one chapter of trauma or even by four chapters of trauma? Because there are people that like, hey, Joe, the idea that just one chapter of my life is trauma is kind of insulting. Let me tell you about my life. And I, I'm not here to argue that. But at some point, you have to decide, can I get to the place where I can flip the script, where I can turn the corner in literature, they call it the, you know, the moment of climax. Can I, can I, the climax of, of, of conflict, I think might be the other one. They might just call it the climax. Uh, uh, any of my lit friends out there, I know I took the classes. Uh, I might be mislabeling it. Feel free to let me know. But th this, this moment of pivot where I move from defining my story from the trauma that I've experienced to defining it by the life that I want to live, by to defining it by the person who I want to be, and then engaging in those behaviors to be that person. That's your homework. I don't give out a lot of homework, so hopefully you'll do it. And then write me. Let me know how it goes. Next week, we're going to wrap this series up. and We're going to talk about how do I avoid getting stuck in the chapters that are good. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend and Hey, give us that rating in your podcast store until next time change possible.